Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear our sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning again. So we're beginning a new season as a church. Obviously, I'm beginning a new season after recovering from heart surgery. But, but every year in our church calendar, the, the Sunday after Labor Day, we start a, a new season. That's why we're le- releasing the kids. We didn't do that during the summer. Um, so uh, we begin this new season. We do it for children, for students, and for adults. And, and th- this uh, season, we call it the all-church study. And, and really what that entails is that we're going to move into a time of study of some specific scripture as a church that incorporates not just what we speak on on Sunday morning in the messages, but it also is going to provide you with some daily devotional material where you can interact with God's word on a daily basis. And you can share that with others about what God is saying to you. And we really want you to ask God, what do you want for me during this season? And then we invite people to join small gatherings of adults. We call them life groups. And in that context, we want to study what I'm going to be preaching on on these Sundays. So I want to ask you to give yourself to this All Church series. And I want to ask you to do it in three ways. I want you to come on Sunday morning, hear the messages. If you have to miss a Sunday... That's fine because uh, we have a podcast that goes up on uh, Monday afternoon so you can hear it during the week and I I encourage you to do it. I was really blessed while I was out getting to listen to the messages uh, from Sunday morning and it just really blessed me and I was able to to feel like I was with you during that that time when I was away. So I encourage you to to be here on Sunday mornings. Uh, I also encourage you to to pick up uh, one of these in the cafe, the book of James. It will give you... uh, place where you can take notes for Sunday's messages. It'll give you a place where you can read scripture and really uh, write down what you sense God is speaking to you and a whole bunch of other things. You can pick those up in the cafe uh, after the service. And then again, I want you to join a life group. Uh, we have life groups at different locations, different nights of the week, and I, I want you to do that. And, and very simply, you could actually do this right now at this very moment if you've downloaded the Valley Brook Church app to your smartphone. In fact, if you look on the screen, very simply, it tells you how to do it. Um, if you text the word Valley Brook, no space in between that, Valley Brook app, uh, and then there's a number uh, that you uh, dial, there we go, 77977, no space between Valley and Brook. That's a, a typo right there. If you text that to it, you can, you can download the app and you can go on it and you can actually join a life group at, right now in the next 60 seconds. So I encourage you to do that. We want everybody to be in a life group. And here's why. We believe that we were supposed to do life together. All right. Um, real life doesn't happen in, in rows like we're doing right now, you know, we're in rows. It happens in circles where we can see each other face to face, where we can, where we can talk, where we can listen to one another. 
And that's, that's critical, quite honestly, in this day and age where we listen to one another, where we can encourage one another, where we can care for one another, where we can study God's word together and ask questions of one another. And I, I'm excited because in life groups uh, during this season, uh, Pastor Francis Chan is the teacher in the material that we're going through in the life groups. And I, you're going to be blessed by uh, Francis. He's, he's a phenomenal teacher, and he's going to give you insights and encourage you in your life. So I'm excited about that. So we want you to join a life group and, and commit to it for this season. And so really, as a church, you know, literally, we're all on the same page for a concentrated time of study together. And I believe that when we do that and we interact with each other and with God, God's going to do some amazing things. So my prayer would be that all of us would say to God, God, what do you want for me during this season? And then God, give us ears to hear and, and to, to follow that. So that's enough about what we're doing. I want to get into this message in the first chapter of the book of James. So if you would bow your heads, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you care for us so much that you sent your son Jesus to show us the way to you, that you gave us your Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us, and then you deposited the word so that we could actually read it and study it and live it. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and that we would be different as we believe and live out what we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to ask me what the theme verse is for this series, I would actually tell you it's from the second chapter of the book of James, uh, verse 17. You're going to see it on the screen up here. Verse uh, 17 from chapter 2 says this, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I love what James is saying here because he's basically saying that there's got to be a balance between faith and action. It's not just faith that never lives out what it believes, and it's not just doing good deeds for good deeds' sake. It's good deeds based in a living faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think about it this way, you know, in the, in the world of, of being a Christian, sometimes we think being a Christian means going to church on Sunday morning and, and studying the Bible, uh, you know, on our own and with other Christians, but never actually putting into action what we've learned. Or on the other extreme, sometimes people say, well, if I do enough good stuff, that's what it means to be a Christian. And it's not, it's not either or. It's both and. All right, it's both and. It's got to be a, a healthy balance there. So today we're going to start in uh, James chapter 1. And let me just give you a little bit of background. The author of the book of James is James. And scholars point out that they believe that it's the brother of Jesus, his half-brother. Uh, um, his parents were Mary and Joseph, whereas Jesus' mom was Mary and God was, uh, the Holy Spirit was the other half of, of that uh, partnership. So that's, he's the, the half-brother of Jesus. So let me just pause for a moment and, you know, point something out that you may take for granted. How many of you have a sibling, a brother or a sister? All right. Now, so think this through. Um, if your brother or sister came up to you and one day, about the time they turned 30, and said, hey, um, I want you to know 
that um, I'm God's chosen one. I'm the Messiah. I am uh, the, I am God. What would you think? <laughs> um, what do you think James and, you know, Jesus had more than a brother. There were other brothers and sisters. What do you think they thought? Well, I'm sure at some point there was some skepticism about that. I know that if I said that to my sister or my sister said that to me, there would be some serious skepticism. But, but what I want you to see is that James came to understand that his half-brother Jesus was, is, and always will be the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And in the first verse, this is how he starts it. So let's look at that. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ the 12 tribes scattered among the nation's greetings. Just note what he said. He said, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, uh, yeah, Jesus was my brother, but I'm his servant. And he's not just my half-brother. He actually, he's the Lord. He, he's the chosen one. He's professing to us his faith in Jesus. So if you ever struggle with faith about if Jesus is who he really is, just think about his half-brother James who knew if Jesus really was the real deal. And obviously he did because of what we see as how he professed his faith in him. It's interesting also to note that as uh, we read this greeting, it says it's to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That James is using a, a term to refer to uh, something that anybody that grew up in a Jewish background would understand. There were 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 tribes over the millennia had been scattered because the Jews had been taken into captivity. They had been moved to Babylon, to Persia, <coughs> to Egypt, to, to different places, and they some of them had returned to Israel, but some of them had stayed. And so the 12 tribes were not all located in Israel any longer. And they were scattered. But, but what we also need to understand there in the context, and this was around 65, um, probably around 65 A.D. after Jesus' death, uh, that James is writing this. And he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered throughout the world. And we understand, and, and James understood this, is that, you know, he didn't see Jesus as trying to create a new religion. He saw Jesus as fulfilling the prophets. And so it was not something that he would distinguish between the 12 tribes and between Christianity. And he saw these as followers of Jesus who lived all throughout the world. And he also understood in this period in history that there was a lot of persecution, a lot of hardship, a lot of trials and tribulations happening to those who followed Jesus. Because if they lived in a predominantly Jewish era, they were being persecuted because they were seen as adding to Judaism. And that was considered sacrilegious. Or if they lived in a greater part of the Roman Empire, which really was the rest of the world, they were being persecuted by uh, the Roman leadership because they were just seen as, as part of Judaism and, and creating issues and problems because of their obedience to Jesus above Caesar. And, and so they were in um, very challenging times. So with that, we need to understand 
that their lives <coughs> probably were experiencing, you know, obviously to a greater degree some persecution than we do, but they were experiencing, you know, problems and all kinds of pressures and, and, and pains and even predicaments for following Jesus. And, and you know, I, I think about this. We all have issues that we wrestle with, pains, predicaments, all kinds of things that, that bother us. And, and sometimes as followers of Jesus, you know, you know, we struggle with why we're going through that. I mean, I'll just be candid with you, you know, um, having to have a new heart valve and, and undergo surgery, I understand this issue because uh, in my case, uh, I needed a new heart valve, um, not because of my lifestyle, not because of my diet. And I, um, I was born with a valve that didn't form normally. Um, it was bicuspid instead of tricuspid, and that's a whole different kind of talk. But, but the idea was uh, that um, I needed to have it replaced because it wasn't operating the way it did. And so, you know, I could sort of fall into that trap and sort of say, God, you know, why did you let my valve be formed in my mother's womb that way so that I would not have one surgery but two surgeries? Well, and I have to go through all this. You know, I'm, I'm your follower. You know, I've been following you for, for decades. I've committed my life to, to being a pastor and, and serving your kingdom and, and serving your will. And I could get into that kind of whole woe is me kind of attitude. You know, God, why did this happen to me? Sometimes we do get into that attitude. Maybe you have. Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you're, you're saying, you know, God, why do I have this health issue? You know, maybe you're wrestling with cancer or some Ill illness, or maybe you've come through a season where you've wrestled with something. You know, God, why are you letting me do this? Or, or maybe you're having relationship challenges. Uh, maybe you've had some friends abandon you or hurt you, or, or maybe your, your uh, marriage is suffering and you're going, God, you know, why are you allowing this to happen? I, I've told you I believe in you. I, I told you I follow you. I, 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 I want your blessings. Maybe you've suffered a loss that still breaks your heart today. And you go, God, why are you letting this happen? Let's be honest, we all deal with heartache and suffering. We, we all struggle with this, and, and it's something that we all have to come to terms with as followers of Jesus Christ. And we all can be tempted to say, God, why? Why did you let this happen? You know, sometimes we find ourselves clinging to verses in Scripture where we see that God wants us to have more. And sometimes we interpret that through our own lenses and we think it's more material stuff, more wealth. Or maybe we think that um, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should never have health concerns. We, we interpret it that way. But let me remind you of what Jesus said. He, he didn't promise us this life would be perfect, but he did promise that he would be with us. And in the gospel of John, he said these words. He said, in this, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying to his followers, you're going to have trials. There'll be trouble in this world. And it's interesting that years later, James, his half-brother, basically says the same thing. So let's look at verse 2. This is where we're going to talk about the pressures and the predicaments and the pain. 
In verse 2, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's sort of a startling way to say it, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't it have been nicer if he said, you know, consider it a necessary evil when you face trials of many kinds? Or or wouldn't it have been better if he said, consider you got to take some of the bad with some of the good when you face trials of many kinds? But that's not what he says. He says, consider it joy. In fact, he says, consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Think about that. Think about what in your mind is the definition of pure joy and then wrestle with what James said. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. James wants us to understand, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, that there's a purpose in the pain that we experience in our lifetimes. And that purpose should produce joy in our hearts and lives. And, you know, sometimes that's really hard to wrap our heads around, particularly when we've experienced uh, great pain and great suffering. But he wants us to understand that we should have pure joy when we experience this. And and he goes on in the next verse, but let me go back to verse 2 and just start from there. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So there's a purpose in the suffering. There's a purpose. By the way, he doesn't make all the suffering happen. Sometimes the suffering happens to us that he allows to happen, but he doesn't make it happen. The trials and pressures and predicaments and pains of our life basically saying are a test for our faith because when life gets hard, when we're in a crisis, when we have a heartache, we have to decide, are we going to trust God or will we give in and walk away from God? That's why James considers it pure joy when we go through many trials. And by the way, many trials, he doesn't specify. He says, he's not saying it was a spiritual trial. He's not saying it's a physical trial or an emotional trial. He's saying many trials. So don't get caught up on one way. So uh, here's what you need to understand. You know, this is not some type of Pollyanna optimism that James is telling us to do. He's not, you know, saying, oh, always look at the cup half full. He's not saying that. He's genuinely saying, consider it pure joy because when your faith is tested, you will produce perseverance if you trust in God. One scholar has written this. Trials are to be seen overall as, the, as a ground for rejoicing since vital faith is required by God and trials serve as its stimulus. Trials are to be seen overall as a ground for rejoicing since vital faith is required by God and trials serve as its stimulus. You you know, get this through our heads. You you know, when we go through trials, when we go through struggles, when we go through uh, pains uh, in life, it's an opportunity for us to produce vital faith, to, to see that, It really is something, not just that we believe, 
but that we live. It's one thing to say that I trust God and I believe that he provides for me. It's another thing to follow him faithfully when we go through trials and tribulations. You know, I appreciate that James says that trials, uh, you know, are to be looked at with pure joy. And I appreciate that this scholar who says that trials are to stimulate us to vital faith, to, to mature faith, to, to faith that's not just lip service, but it's life service. We're living what we say we believe. And think this through. You know, you don't become a Christian by coming to church. You don't become a Christian because your mom and dad were Christians. You don't become a Christian because you went through a confirmation ceremony or you were baptized. You become a Christian when you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again to eternal life and to give that to you. And your faith becomes vital because it changes your life. A vital faith is when a person actually makes daily decisions about how they will live their life because they believe in Jesus Christ. So it's this idea of faith and action. There's that balance. It's not just faith and it's not just action. It's the balance of faith that translates my life into action. And it becomes real. Our faith becomes real. When, when we go through lives ups and downs, we still trust God. Now, what I'm saying, I recognize is a simple concept. But I also recognize it's not an easy thing to live. And that's why we need one another. And that's why we need to pray for one another and encourage one another and support one another. So remember what James said. He said, it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. So let's talk about perseverance. After he says the testing of your faith produces perseverance, he goes into this. He launches into the purpose of perseverance. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So, so what we need to understand here is that anything that tests our faith and our obedience to God is an opportunity to persevere and to mature in our faith, to have vital faith. When we are mature in our faith, he says we will lack nothing. Uh, if we need wisdom in how to handle a trial or a predicament, it says ask God and trust that he will answer you. And then James gives us a rebuke about not persevering. In, in verse 6 and following, he says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Basically, what he's saying is, if you say you believe, but you don't live out that faith, you're going to be tossed back and forth. You're going to be double-minded because you're saying one thing, but you're living completely the opposite. And so what he's saying is, we need to live what we believe. And when we persevere, we're doing that. And he's going to help our faith mature and grow. And in that process, we can ask him to help our faith grow, to, to help us trust him. And he will give, a, give that to us. 
If you don't trust God, you will not persevere because your faith will not help you move forward. It won't be vital when you face hardships and difficult times. You know, we should take a clue from James. He acknowledges that life is hard. And if you know anything about the life of James, if you know anything about what it was like to be uh, part of the early church in the first century, it was hard. It was difficult. They lived in Jerusalem. They faced persecution. They faced being arrested. They struggled daily. And in fact, James and the rest of the disciples, except one, all ended up being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, being martyrs for the faith. So James understood this, and he followed God, and he trusted him. Now, there's something about perseverance that's important for us to know. Perseverance produces something. Perseverance produces a promise. This is what James says about those who persevere. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, he's not saying that by persevering in faith that you're going to receive eternal life. That that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is when we persevere in our faith, when we're obedient to, to Jesus, when we follow him and live what we say we believe, then we can stand on the promises that he has given us eternal life, that we have that assurance, that reassurance of our salvation, that we can stand in confidence that as followers of him, we're being faithful to him. And that comes when we, are, when we persevere, when we're faithful. That's the promise. He reminds us of what we have guaranteed for us. I thought maybe it would be better for me to stop explaining and, and share a story of what it looks like. Ann Graham Lotz is the daughter of Billy Graham. Um, she's an evangelist, a teacher, and this week uh, on her blog, she announced that she has breast cancer. Uh, now, as we all know, a diagnosis of cancer is scary and frightening and feels uh, like a trial and a tribulation from the moment the word is uttered. I want to read to you what she wrote on her blog because it shows a woman who is persevering and standing on the promise. So here's what she said. She said, would you pray for me? Pray for God to heal me in whichever way God deems would bring him the most glory. Wow. But then she goes on. Healing without surgery healing with surgery, healing with surgery and follow-up treatment, or healing through the greater miracle of the resurrection. She's basically covered all the bases. She says, I know God's going to heal me. He's either going to heal me and I'm going to live on on earth, or he's going to heal me and I'm going to be forever with him in eternity. I'm going to stand on the promise that my eternal life is paid for and that I'm there. And I'll take whatever he gives me and I'm going to trust him. She understands what every follower of Jesus needs to understand, that God sent his son to save us from our sins. And so we should trust him. And that God calls us his sons and his daughters and and has blessed us with gifts and talents to do his will. So we should do his will. And Jesus promised to be with us. And so he and the father 
poured out the Holy Spirit into everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. So we know that we are never alone and that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live vital faith while we're on this earth. Whenever we live like this, then we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, because we will. So where does that leave us today? You know, you know my guess is in this room, there's some of you who are facing, you're in the midst of a trial right now. Some of you can see a trial coming on the horizon. And maybe some of you have just gone through a trial and it's rocked your world and your faith. You know, for those of you who've come through trials, those of us who are facing a trial or going through a trial, we need to hear your story of what God did. So care for one another that way. For those of you who are in a trial or see a trial on the horizon, we want to love on you and care for you and support you and walk with you. And so we need to do that. And when I say we, I don't mean the leaders of Valley Brook only. I mean all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And uh, it's called Do It Again. And, you know, over the past 18 months, you know, I, I've wrestled with some trials and tribulations. Maybe not grand and uh, but, but they were trials for me. And, you know, they're not all resolved. And, and none of them had to do, by the way, with my heart. Um, and somewhere in that season, the worship team started singing this song, Do It Again. And the words began to minister to me because I was thinking about one situation that I was going through. And, and quite candidly, I knew how I wanted it to resolve, but it looked hopeless. And I prayed and I prayed in faith and it still looked hopeless. And um, one day I was driving down the road and the song came on and you know I started singing it and I started crying because I knew what I wanted God to do. And it talks, the song talks about you know, the faithfulness of God, that he's been faithful and that he's going to be faithful again and that we need to have a vital faith and trust him. And, uh, and so I, I started singing that song as a prayer. And I did it, you know, hit replay, hit replay, hit replay. And, and the tears came and and, um, you know, months later now, I'm seeing that God's answering that prayer. And there's, there's other things that I'm praying about and, and looking for God to do it again. So I want to say this to encourage you, that, that God is faithful. And he wants us to trust him and, and believe he's faithful and walk with him. So I'm going to invite you to stand up and sing this song with the worship team. And to sing it as a prayer. And, and really... Focus on the words because they're powerful. And I believe that God will minister to you through that song. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.